Father, we praise you for bringing us back together. We know that there are still many people that are, are sick. We thank you for bringing people through. Thank you for bringing my family through. And um, we praise you for the healings that you've given to um, our friends and family. Um, but God, we also know that our times are in your hands. And uh, we're somewhat, we're heavy hearts this morning over losing our brother Steve. And um, we know that he is forever happy right now, though. And no need for pacemakers. He's probably running circuits with Frank. And God, we just give you the praise. And we ask that you would comfort his sisters right now. And, and if they don't know you as their Savior, that somehow through this you would minister to their hearts, give them eyes to see. And we just cling to you. We, we thank you for your wisdom and how you made us. As we think this morning a little bit about how you made us and wrestle with a, a, a hard question, we ask for wisdom and, and grace to accept what you have from us, for us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I've got some handouts. Can I get a couple of people to pass these out? Will, you look like one of the couple of people. All right, it has been a long time since we've done this, so I have a feeling only Norma is really aware of what questions we're even on because we're slackers and Norma is very diligent at this. So what's that? Oh, Charity says that was hurtful. I'm, maybe I should just speak for myself. What, what's the topic of the conversation? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so question 13. Remember, before question 13, we've been working through the Ten Commandments, kind of explored each one. How do they apply and then we got to this question after all those Ten Commandments. Can anyone keep this law of God perfectly? The question, uh, and then the answer was, since the fall, no mere human has been able to keep the law of God perfectly, but consistently breaks it in thought, word, and deed. And we know that very well, don't we? I mean, we, <laughs> we wake up and are impatient. <laughs> we... We, we just know this. We cannot keep God's law perfectly. So today's question is question 14. And the, the bold part in the answer is the children's abbreviated answer. Let's, let's uh, answer it together. Did God create us unable to keep his law? No, but because of the disobedience of our first parents, you can say it with me, Adam and Eve, all of creation is fallen. We are all born in sin and guilt, corrupt in our nature, and unable to keep God's law. So that, 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 that's a tough one. But I guess before I start to break it down into the, the parts of the sins and what is it talking about, what are the questions that come to your mind right away when you read this question? Did God create us unable to keep his laws? And then that answer. 
It's not fair. Feels not fair. <laughs> right? Uh, that get you, do you, Are you talking about how Adam and Eve kind of screwed it up? Yep. And like, we all are somehow connected to them? Well, without that connection to Adam and Eve, you can, and I've done this. Uh, in my past, I've gotten a really screwed up view of who God is. Ooh. Because without that connection to Adam and Eve, as our fault as humans, our first fault, a lot of people would be like, well, God's a jerk. You right. Know, he made us in a way that we're imperfect but requires perfection. Right. So without that fact, that is just, it's a brutal reality to go through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He nailed it on the head. Those are the wrestlings that we have with this. Um, the question is really asking, not right now when little King was in the womb of his mother, did God create him at that point unable to create the, keep the law? It's talking about, did God create humans, the first humans, with an inability automatically to keep his law? But he knew, he was, God knows everything, so he knew, and all it was done to bring him glory and to lift him up, even our sinful behavior. Yeah. We, when we get into this question, you, it can really unpack all kinds of interesting questions. Like, did God create Adam and Eve with the possibility to fail or knowing they would fail or intentionally, you know, that you start to wrestle with some of these questions that like uh, Josh and Todd have kind of already hinted at. So let's start to break it down a little bit. So I always just take it, the answer, and just break it down with the phrases that they have. So and we're going to have to turn in our Bibles quite a bit to explore this today. So Genesis chapter 1. <clears throat> so the first part of the answer says no, right? And so, well, what do I mean? So if you just look at the very first chapter of the Bible, the very last verse says, God saw everything that he made, and how was it? Very good. Very good. And behold, it was very good. There was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. So when he created everything, it was all good. Like this, in that phrase right there, it was very good, comes at the end of God just listing off everything that he had done. And he says about all of it, it was very good. So what does that tell us about God's design for humanity? It's good. It's good. I mean, it's kind of an easy Sunday school answer. I'm just throwing you a softball there. <laughs> he created it good, right? So the next part says, no, but the disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve. So let's just go over to chapter 2 there and, and read verse 17. Verse 17 of chapter 2 says, it, well, look at verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God lays out the command. You can enjoy all of this. This is all for you. I have this one requirement. You may not eat of this. And then so we get to chapter 3. And what happens? We know that Satan comes along and tempts Eve. And Eve, with Adam right there, gives in. 
So verse 6 of chapter 3, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. So that's the disobedience, right? God made them good, says it's all for you, don't eat this one thing. And then they disobeyed. And God promised that when that happened, death would come. Now, did they fall over and die right then? They didn't fall over and die. But I would argue that right at that moment, God changed things. Like, I think physics, how things work, he like just introduced, this is the way I'm going to do things now. This is the way I'm going to run the universe in terms of atoms even. Because death started. They started dying right at that moment. Decay. And I think if they had not disobeyed, they would have lived forever in that good state. Had children, the earth would have been covered. The garden would have spread and covered the face of the earth like the waters. Actually, some of the Old, prophet, Old Testament prophets actually use that kind of phrase. So the next part of the phrase of the answer says, all of creation is fallen. Now, if you read through the rest of Genesis 3, what does God say to Adam and Eve? He, right, he, he first addresses the serpent, and then he addresses the woman, and he addresses man, and through all of that, then he introduces the curse. So if you go all the way over to Romans, Romans chapter 8, Paul makes a comment about all of creation. It wasn't just humans that experienced the results. Romans 8, verse 20. Well, look, start, yeah, verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. So God subjected it to futility in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So, and I'm combining the what does this mean to where do we get this from, because it's hard to answer this question to just give you the meanings and show that, you know, and then come back and look at the scriptures. So, All of creation is fallen. So the result of their disobedience, even though it was all very good, God subjected it to this brokenness that we feel and we really felt acutely over the last, well, all of our lives. But it feels to me like lately, feels more and more heavy and oppressive, right? Um, So the next phrase then gets into really the harder part of us wrestling with this because I think those other things we kind of get. Then it says we are all born in sin and guilt. So since we're in the book of Romans, let's just take that middle passage right there. But I could, Psalm 51, 5, David says, and that's a prayer of confession there. He says, in sin was I conceived. And that doesn't mean, he's not saying that there was some kind of sinful, adulterous something going on when his mom and dad, when he was conceived. He's saying that from the very moment I was born, I was broken. But if you look just back in Romans here, chapter 5, just a few more verses. Look at verse 12 and verse 19. 
Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. So before we go further, sin came through one man. Who is that one man he's talking about? Adam, Adam, right? And death came as a result of that sin. And therefore, so death spread to all men because all sinned. And then jump down to verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, so we're getting some hope here, (laughs) the many will be made righteous. We're all born in sin and guilt. Does this mean, well, you tell me, what, what does that passage mean there? And what does it mean to say that we're born in sin and guilt? I've heard it say that, that our sin comes from the Father. From the Father, not the Mother. That's kind of why Mary. I mean, yeah. if you think about it, it wasn't another man. It was God that mm-hmm. somehow. But it says sin comes from the Father. It doesn't say from the Mother. So, I mean, the first person was. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what that's got to do with it all, but... Well, you're hitting on something because there's really... There's two main views of why we do what we do, why we sin. One says that in the garden, Adam represented us. Kind of like we have Scott Bennett that represents us as a senator, Right? As a representative, you can call it a federal representative. Theologians call it the federal head. That Adam was our representative. He stood in our place in the garden. And every single person he represented. And we get that because this verse here in Romans says by one man's obedience. So Christ can stand in our place as a substitute and represent us as well. Okay, That's one way that people say that. We're all born in sin and guilt because of Adam was our rep, representative. We're all born with that now. That's one view. The other view is that because of genetics, like what you're saying, it gets passed down. That this, this, this tendency to sin. I actually think both are, are, are correct and we probably have some misunderstandings on both sides a little bit of how it works. I tend to lean towards talking about the federal representative because I like Jesus to be my representative. I focus on that. And the interesting thing about the seed part is that when Jesus was conceived, there was not, uh, Joseph was not involved. The Holy Spirit caused the conception. And, and I'm not smart enough to get in to explain all that and understand it. And I'm just going to have to take it at his word. <laughs> Maybe you're, if you guys have any interesting insights on how that might have worked, let me know. <laughs> Um, but I think both kind of come into play here. So we, we sin, we're born in sin. There is a third view that I think is unbiblical. And that is that um, Adam was a bad example and everybody's born with a clean slate, but we'll mess it up. So tell me how, what you think about that view. How well would that one work out? The Bible says that even if the child comes forth spewing lies and that they come out of the womb 
Oh, come on. They're so sweet, right? Hey, look at that. I mean, King is just so adorable. There's no way he would do it. He's Right, right. And, and Mama just has to focus on somebody else for just two minutes, and he's like, Josh? Um, I know this isn't exactly the answer to the first question because yeah. my reasoning is the Bible. But um, with the, the genetic thing, it actually kind of makes sense in a way because the Holy Spirit would have, in theory, altered Jesus' genetic code because of the, the Father being the literal genetic Father. So his perfection would be due to that in theory. So I always go back to, like you said, the Bible. Like if God in the Genesis 1 can speak things into existence, he has no problem in causing a child to be conceived in the womb. All he has to do is say it by the Spirit, right? So, yeah. I, and and I, the thing is, though, you have to ask yourself, when Jesus was born with that nature, was it a nature like Adam's? possible to sin or was it a nature that was impossible to sin could jesus have sinned yeah i like what you said josh i like what matt said and I, but donna's like no way and you're all right because how many natures did jesus have he had two he had the nature he's very god and very man is what the creed is. And as we get later in our catechism, we're going to memorize the Apostles' Creed and I think another one of the creeds. But he's very God and very man. He had two natures simultaneously, not mixed up together. So his nature as a God, as God, could not sin. It was impossible. But he was fully man. So that fully man nature had to be able to. And here's why. It says in Hebrews that he was tempted in every way as we are. That temptation has to be real or I'm not going to be a very happy guy. Because I'd be like, well, of course he did. Because he was God. That's not a real temptation. It has to be a real temptation. So his human nature had to really be like Adam's, able to sin. But he had the God man, the God nature, and that could not sin. And God's orchestrating this whole thing. So in, in terms of what's going to happen, he would not have sinned because God is in charge of that situation. And the Bible says that. But, he was tempted without sin. but without sin is what it says in Hebrews 4. He was tempted in every way as we are, but yet without sin. So that, that's encouraging to us. But like, what are some examples when you see Jesus in his humanity feeling the weight like we did? Where's some things you can think of, stories in the Bible, in the Gospels, where you know Jesus had a real temptation right there? In the garden. In the garden. Tell me about that. And so whatever wrestling's going on there, it was sinless, which is encouraging to me because I can have questions and I'm not sinning even in my questions. What else? Like, the 
one I like is the one in the temple where he tipped everything over. I can relate to that. <laughs> he was angry. Yeah, he was. It was a right anger. Yeah. yeah. He was tempted, like, right after his baptism. He's led by the Spirit in the wilderness and tempted three times, right? And I think it might have even been more. Those are the temptations that the gospel authors, by God, wanted to be brought to our attention. I think he had all kinds of temptations. But we know those right there. I mean, it should be encouraging to us that he faced those temptations just like us. Now, we're all born in sin and guilt. Any other questions on that, like... We could, we could really wrestle with that a long time. But the phrase, go, the sentence goes on to say that we're corrupt in our nature. Now, this goes against what our culture tells us. How does this go against what our culture tells us? You're all right just the way you are. Right. The real me. <laughs> what? Your true heart. Like, that's just the Disney message, right? Follow your heart. Oh, yeah, yeah. So look over at 1 John while we're here in the New Testament. Your Bibles are there. 1 John 1.8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth's not in us. God tells us that we're messed up. And, and we're lying to ourselves if we say we don't have it. This is what he's saying right there. We're, we're lying to ourselves even if we think that we don't. Um, how many of you know Jeremiah 17, 9? The heart is... Right. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's, our heart is just messed up. It really is. Now, does that mean... We are, we got to ask this in the last time we had this question, the, the last previous, the, the last catechism question. Does that mean that we are all as wicked as possible? Yeah. So I do, I am absolutely as fully evil as could be. I would say that it doesn't mean that we are evil through and through. Yeah, we're not given over, we're, given over to it. Right, exactly. We're not given over to it. We're not, I'm not out murdering. I'm not, like, frankly, if I was fully evil, I would not be standing up here talking to you today. Wouldn't that be the common grace? Then? It's common grace that I do anything good, yes. But what we mean by that is... There is no part of us that's not touched by sin. If we go and say that this means that we are fully as evil as possible, you start to go into this mindset that we are not. You you have to, you have a really, if you think about this, the image of God isn't even in us if we are fully evil. Right? You, You can't say that you're fully evil. It's saying that, and we call this total depravity, does not mean that I am as evil as possible. It means that there is no part of me that's not touched by sin. I cannot do good, ultimately, fully perfect good, because I'm, my nature is corrupted. Okay, if, if it were not for Jesus, wouldn't I have 
whatever anybody else might <clears throat> If I didn't have Jesus. If, if I, I didn't have Jesus, could I, I not do what? Am I not, am I not, by the grace of God, there goes me. That's kind of, if, if I were not saved and not a Christian, I'm capable of murder. Yes. Yeah, it's the capable word that we're talking about. Exactly. Okay. It's, it's saying, Bob Jones Sr., the guy who started Bob Jones University, has this great quote. I don't have a lot of quotes from him that I would like, but this one I do. He says, any sin that any sinner has ever committed. Okay? So you start to think about some of the worst sinners you've ever thought of. Any sin that any sinner's committed, given the proper provocation, in other words, being set up in the right situation, anyone's able to commit. So were it not for common grace, which is the phrase that Josh used, that means God's restraining, restraining influence and blessing and helping even to unbelievers. Given the right circumstances, I also, because of my corrupt nature, would do the worst of the worst. But the part about saying that I'm not fully, I'm like fully evil all in, all in myself is because I haven't done those things. It doesn't mean that I'm good enough. I'm not good enough, right? We're going to see that in our next question. I, I, I'm, even though I'm not fully evil, I'm an evil enough that I don't deserve Heaven, I deserve hell because I've it, just one sin is enough. If we say that this means that we're fully evil, you're going to get into some really messed up views of humanity and how God made you and the fact that there still is the image of God in you. It's broken, but it. I frankly think a lot of the um, the questions coming at us from the culture. If we have this idea that we're fully evil. They, that's come, they're, they're, they're thinking that we think that. <laughs> um, and the problem is, is it's just a misunderstanding of how God made you. The very fact that God can do something good with, he can do anything with anyone. Doesn't matter, he's Balaam's donkey. He brings grace and sustains you, but we're still possible. Like there isn't, my brain doesn't even function right because of sin and the effect it had on nature and on our souls. We all have the same mind as Da Vinci and also Hitler. That's a, that's a good one to chew on. You like that? So the possibility of creating beauty and the possibility of doing atrocities all lie in this human heart. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess things up. But I, I think we have to be careful to not say that this means that we are evil through and through, but that we are corrupt in our nature and not able to do fully good. Right? We talked, I think, a couple weeks ago that true good has to have all kinds of a good action has to have not just the thing you do, but also the wanter. The wanter has to be in the right place. Otherwise, it's corrupted that good action. I'll admit, this is, this is not easy when you start chewing on a little bit. <laughs> I mean, Josiah's taking philosophy at, at the school, and this is not easy stuff. I mean, you start wrestling with, and you're like, ah, it's easy for us to throw out easy answers, too. But I always go back to, well, what does the word tell me? Because that's my only unwavering source 
of truth, right? Well, yep, Donna. You know where it says our hearts are, uh, that our hearts will deceive us. Mm -hmm. it'll, it'll tell us that it's something's not that bad or that it's, it, you know, it feels the flesh, it feels good, it is okay. That's why we have to <coughs> weigh everything with God's word. We have everything we do, we ought to be able to say, what does the word say? Not what I feel or what I think or what I want to feel, you know, or... Mm -hmm. that, that's tough. I mean, when you realize that your heart will lie to you. Right. Right, exactly. That's what the, we, our, lie, our heart lies to, our, lies to us. We also have, I think, the Psalm 14.3 and then even in Genesis, it says that the thoughts of man are continually wicked. Well, Paul, that sounds like you're contradicting yourself. Well, no, <laughs> still not. All right, let's go on to the next phrase. We're unable to keep God's law. And that gets at our question from last week. We are unable to keep God's law. I'm unable to do it perfectly because my nature has been corrupted. So we've, we've kind of already started to circle around this, but I want to ask you, though, how does this matter? Why does this matter question? Let's look at the answer again, just to kind of put it all together. Did God create us unable to keep his law? No, but... Because of the disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, all of creation is fallen. We are all born in sin and guilt. We're guilty from the day one, corrupt in our nature, and unable to, create, to keep God's law. So here's the question. How does this affect how we think of ourselves? What does this answer? How does this inform how we think about ourselves as humans? Or even our own individual self. Be careful when you think you stand lest you fall. Yeah, be careful. Take heed lest you fall, right? Humble. Yeah, yeah it, hum it, it humbles me because it knows, I, I know that I have the heart of Hitler. And his heart is no different in terms of its starting off, right? Now we know that. Who knows? <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> you go into some really strange things, like what, ha well, how, what was his upbringing like, right? Abusive. What's that? Abusive. It probably was, yeah. I know he flunked out of art school. Flunked out of art school. Well, man, that's pretty bad to flunk out of art school. <laughs> um, how does this affect how we solve the issues of the soul? Right. Yeah. Without him, we probably are going to. I mean, we're not We will fail. Yeah. We will absolutely fail. We need Jesus. When it comes to solving issues of the soul, how do we know what are issues of the soul? How do I know the difference even between like issues that this is a body issue or this is a soul issue? A little bit of a trick question. I think Pastor Matt started to talk about that a couple weeks ago in the sermon. So, anxiety, depression, are those merely physical? No. Are they merely soul issues? Or how did God make Adam and Eve? 
Did he make them? He took some, oh, here's some soul dust. Here's some body dust and kind of mix them up together. What I mean is he made you a whole person. He made you a whole person. And we, when we die, our soul is temporarily removed from the body. But it's not really good for us to look at somebody in the casket and tell our kids that's not them. Because it tends to make us think body bad, soul good. But the reality is God made us as whole beings. And when he comes back, if God thought that your body's bad, when he comes back, he, why would he bother resurrecting you? And if you're created, why would he bother pulling all those particles back together if he thought it was bad? No. God made us as whole beings. He's going to give us, he's going to reunite our soul with our body. And the point is, though, when you're thinking about issues like this, I have to remember this, that not only has my body been broken, but my nature in itself is broken, and I have to address both, right? This, like, we, we, I pulled up the hot button ones of, like, depression and anxiety, because I think in church we... we Especially in the, the environment I grew up in, they go, oh, it's sin, it's sin, right? But the thing is, is it's, it's all a big, nice, hot mess that can't be, un, can't be pulled apart so easily. So we have to address both. And, like, and this is true of my friends with cancer, right? They need a doctor, but your heart, when you go through something like that, your spiritual side, you have to address that too. Because I'm going to be asking the questions of where is God? And this informs me that I do have to go about this, though, knowing that I'm prone to wander, right? And my body's going to break. What, how else do you think um, this matters, this, this answer? I was thinking about, you said that about King, his need. I don't think in the need he's sinning. I think God's created us with need, and it's how we fulfill that need is what... The need in itself is not the sin. Right. Because right. that's the body, right? Right. It's the body aspect. Right. It's how we, how we fulfill that need. Right. That's, that's humanity. The, not this next question. I think it's the question 16 asks, gets at, well, what is sin, really? That's getting at sin. Is sin a disposition of the heart, an attitude... Or is it a physical thing? I think we don't want to say it's a physical thing because then you're going to creep into heresy that came actually as early as when 1 John is written called it's early Gnosticism. They taught that the body's bad and the soul is good or even the soul is messed up, but the body's really bad. And you really are going to start to get some messed up views of ourselves. We have to remember that when a child is crying and complaining, the need in itself isn't the sin, you're right, but that, that anger that can come out when he doesn't get the need met is when it can show up. At least in my mind. Josh? No, no, I think that, I mean, I think that's our, our cry, all of our, our I, my, Jesus says uh, to the disciples, when he told them to stay awake in the garden, 
I'm going to go pray. He comes back and finds him asleep. He says, stay awake. The heart, he says, that phrase right there, the flesh is weak. I think he's just making a statement about what we're, this reality even, that I'm telling you to do something that's hard. You're going to have to wrestle against your, your soul here. It's going to want to not pray. It's going to want to just sleep. So I had other questions of why this matters. Here's a big one. How do we construct a justice system in this world, given this reality? That would be a light question to address. <laughs> right? How, what is our justice system? What do people say a justice system, justice system should do? There, you go to jail. What's the point of the jail or prison? What? Rehabilitation, right? So if they think that the thought is rehabilitation, where is that coming from? Thinking about what do they think a human's like? That they can be fixed. And to some extent, we can change behaviors. They can do some things. But ultimately, we know you're going to need a heart change, right? Yes. Right? Right? That, <laughs> if we stick to the word, it's going to be helpful. That's in, yep, Paul talks about that in Romans 13 when he's talking about the point of those who wield the sword. Right? The whole point of government. And, and now that I'm just kind of throwing out these questions for you to kind of know that this really does matter. It has far-reaching ramifications. How do we educate our children then? Right? Remember uh, several months ago, Pat Matt went through some kind of teacher seminar, and they were talking to them about, well, really, we don't ever want to do any corrective things now. We just want to, um, it was just silliness, absolute silliness. You can see if you don't have this understanding, you're going to come up with all kinds of ways of how you should educate your children because you won't think that, you're going to think that, well, we just need to keep putting the right things in their environment. You know, environment matters. It shapes how you become who you are. But your nurture, the nurture matters, but your nature also matters. We might be rebuked. I don't think everybody think what they want. But I remember one of the boys got into trouble, and it had to do with drugs and stuff. And Dwayne said, if you are guilty, he swore he didn't have anything to do. If you are guilty, I will take you to jail. Mm. So our kids knew that there was a line, and you don't. You just don't, you don't do those things. You obey the laws of the land. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, some people would say, oh, that was hard. But, and it was hard. It was hard. It was one of the hardest things I'm sure I ever had yeah. to do. But it made a difference in their life. Yeah, yeah. Well, good. We're at, at time, I just wanted you to see, though, that this, this question really does matter. It affects everything how you think about who you are as a human and what you're predisposed to do. And it should show you your absolute need for Jesus. I'm so thankful for that, uh, that verse in Romans that it says in the first part, for by one man's disobedience, right? The many, and then it says by one man's obedience, 
If it wasn't for Jesus obeying for me, I would be so hopeless. Knowing that this, if that's, if this is only the truth, if this is all I had, how discouraged would we be? <laughs> we know, though, there's other questions that are going to come that help us see we have a Savior who rescues us, who obeyed fully for us, who takes all of our efforts at doing right and makes them right. Right? Let's pray. Father, we, just, we do thank you that Jesus stood in our place, condemned, took on all of our shame and gives us hope and gives us victory over this messed up self. Help us to have right thoughts, inform our thoughts about who you say we are by your word. Help us to be able to filter out the noise in this world that we hear all the time. Especially for our teens and our children that are growing up, we ask that you would protect them with truth. That they would hear from you through your word and lean into that. That they would assess everything, all the truth claims they hear around them by what you say. Be with us now as we gather to sing and praise, to hear from you. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.